Sentire Media. Hello you. You're listening to a history of Italy. Special Halloween episode. The Ghost of Bardi Castle. It was one of our very first weekends away together. We were not married yet at the time, and children were far off into the future although maybe the names may have been chosen by then. We set off in one of the first cars I had bought and was paying for in long installments myself, a little Ford Fiesta that looked black to me but was officially known as Petroleum Green. It had been a surprise present for my girlfriend. I had not yet learned that perhaps organising a trip is best done together with time to plan. We made our way along the rolling foothills as they climbed and became the Emilia region Apennines and we crossed the river Enza into the province of Parma before heading up ourselves into those mountains. As we got closer to our destination, the roads became smaller and more winding. At a certain point, the paved road gave way to a gravel section in which there had been a landslide that had taken out part of the mountainside. We stopped to consider the situation. We did not know the area, and there seemed to be no way around to reach our bed and breakfast. When I had booked, the lady on the phone, who sounded a bit odd, had not warned me of any landslide. After some consideration, we decided that things looked safe enough, and we slowly drove across the section of road, all the time wondering if we would be able to make our way back. When we finally arrived at our destination, a quaint isolated building in a small valley, the strange impression I had got from the owner over the phone was reinforced. She was friendly enough, but had rather unsettling wide staring eyes. We were the only ones staying there. Now, usually I would be very pleased at that because I'm not a big fan of crowded places, but in this case, it put me a little on edge. We got to our room and were about to put some of our clothes in the wardrobe when we found that it was full of somebody else's clothes. Perhaps this was a room that the owner herself used. Perhaps there were somebody else's clothes.
I started to imagine films or stories in which tourists disappear, leaving only their clothes behind. At this point, although we were pleased we had reached our destination and found it quite lovely, we still felt a certain sense of unease and thought it best to make sure our door was well locked for the night. I did not sleep very well that night, perhaps plagued by strange, unremembered dreams. Nothing happened to us during the night, and the next morning we prepared to leave for our destination. I could see it by looking out of a window, as dawn gave way to early morning, standing stark against the skyline on its high cliff, the castle of Bardi. I remember thinking two things. The first, that I was quite happy to get away from that place, and the second was that the castle up there on the cliff, as well as the surrounding area, were a great place for a ghost story. Young Celeste made her way up to the highest tower of the castle. The servants she passed gave her a bow or a curtsy, but otherwise did not much pay attention to the young and beautiful daughter of the lord of the castle, since she would often spend a lot of time up on the tower. As she reached the top and then made her way over and looked out beyond the parapet, the wind caught a stray lock of her long, dark hair, which she distractedly tucked back behind her ear. Until the previous day, this had been a place of great joy for her, as she watched her beloved Moroello, captain of the castle garrison, drilling his soldiers in the courtyard or in the fields below the castle. She now thought back to how their love had grown, the first fleeting glances, becoming more insistent and bold, the first meeting by chance when he had passed close to her, sending all her emotions into a frenzy, the first kiss in which the bold soldier, fearless in the face of potential death, had been just as fearful as the young girl. She sometimes feared that their love was an open secret, the way many inhabitants of the castle looked at her knowingly had it not been for her ever-faithful wet-nurse Giovanna, the open secret would have surely reached her father. He, however, was probably too busy to pay attention to such trivial things as his daughter being in love. He was fixed on his politics and war-making. It had been her father's politics that had brought her to her current state of deep anger and growing despair. She had been promised to another lord to help seal her father's political alliance. She would have to leave her castle, her chambers, her Giovanna, but most of all, Moroello, 
to go and lie in the bed of a man three times her age. She caught a glimpse of her loved one, and, as if feeling her gaze upon him, he looked up. He showed no outward sign of greeting or affection, as was their usual code of conduct, but she could see from his sad look and the way he stooped his shoulders as he turned away that the news had reached the barracks. Celeste had wept and prayed, prayed and wept, asking for the good Lord to send her help. If he had allowed her to feel this love, surely it was cruel not to allow them to be together. That thought had made it even worse, feeling guilty at being angry at God and making her cry even harder. There had to be a solution. No one could feel this way in vain. Hope is the cruelest of feelings, and soon enough hope came to Celeste and Moroello. He was to lead a military expedition to defend the borders of the land. This was a great opportunity for him to win glory on the battlefield and accumulate riches from the booty. Perhaps, returning as a conquering hero, he could, in the eyes of Celeste's father, be worthy of his daughter's hand in marriage. In the days leading up to the battle, they made all kinds of plans. Marriage, a family, and ruling together over the family lands. Moroello dreamed of following in the footsteps of the great condottieri of the past, the ones he had heard of and admired as a child, Castruccio Castracani, who had been lord of Lucca, Braccio da Montone, who had become lord of Perugia and surrounding castles. The day of departure finally came, and once again, thanks to Nurse Giovanna, they managed to have one last meeting, a fleeting kiss. Celeste told her lover that it was a good luck kiss, yet, yet, after all the great, seemingly invincible plans they had made in the previous days, a deep-rooted fear had started to creep into her heart. A fear that the kiss was not one for good luck, but a kiss goodbye. For days she stood out on the tower, looking out over the fields and hills towards the valley below, where her beloved Moroello would be marching from. She did not believe that a single individual could feel the range and depth of feelings that she felt in those few days. Great soaring hope, immense joy at the prospect of her future with Moroello, paralyzing fear at the idea of his defeat and death deep despair about the idea of living without him, all in one young breast and all in the space of minutes. In the early morning of the fourth day, an army did indeed appear on the horizon. The frustration became unbearable. They were as yet too far to make out whether they were the troops of Moroello or of the enemy. As the hours passed and the army drew closer, a growing sense of horror gripped Celeste. The insignia of the oncoming troops were those of the enemy. She did not think for a moment of the siege that would certainly come, of the possible months trapped inside the castle as the enemy waited outside, attempting to starve them out. She did not think of what would happen if 
the siege was not lifted by her father's allies, and even in that case she could not have rejoiced, for it would have meant a lifelong prison for her in the bed of another man. All she could think of was that her Moroello was no more. She started to shake her head in desperation. This could not be. She could not have been made to feel all she had felt for nothing. It was too cruel. It was too much for one person to bear. A wail of despair escaped her and she sank to the ground. Whatever the future now held for her, she did not want it. As her sobbing subsided, a sense of determination took over. She would not allow her future to be decided by others, not by the advancing enemy, not by her father. She would take her life into her own hands. She climbed up onto the parapet and for a moment looked out, wondering where the body of her beloved lay. Then, with the same final certainty that had been building inside her, she took her last step. As the castle came into view, the captain's spirits rose. The battle had been hard fought, and he had lost many of his soldiers and friends, some barely more than teenagers. But, in the end, they had won. Now, Moroello could hope that his victory could be the first step towards being worthy in the eyes of Celeste's father. He had taken the enemy insignia as a trophy to take to his lord. But for him, it was all just a means to an end. The battle, the death, the glory, all steps on the pathway leading him to Celeste. He was actually pleased to discover that the Lord was not at the castle and would not return until later that same afternoon. This meant he could go straight to her. He made his way to their agreed meeting place. It wasn't a place that was actually hidden so that it would raise suspicion if they were caught there, but at the same time not too many people would happen by, allowing a certain level of privacy. She was not there. He waited for a while, imagining that she had grown weary of waiting herself. That was not a problem. This great fortress now seemed very small, after all they had been through, and his goal was so near. She was nowhere to be found, and with mounting dread, he began to understand that something had happened. Although the day was bright, it was as if a dark cloud had come over the castle. There were no sounds of children playing, the farmers out in the fields, of the cooks banging around in the kitchen. Everything was subdued. Those he passed avoided his gaze. Finally, he found Giovanna, who could barely speak to him between her deep, heartbroken sobs. Finally, he managed to get the news out of her. Celeste was no more. He now stood on the top of the tower where she had spent her last moments, hoping to at least share that with her, to find some trace of her. It had all been in vain. The suffering, the bloodshed, the hopes and fears, 
all for naught. Still clad in his armor, he sunk to his knees and wept. Eventually, he got to his feet and gazed over the parapet, imagining her beautiful body, broken and bloodied down below. Never again would those hands caress his face. Never again could he dress that smile with a delicate kiss. He had never had much time for religion, but he knew that when one took their own life, they could not get into heaven. Yet, for him, there was no heaven without Celeste. Once again, cruel hope intervened. That of the story Celeste had loved to tell him over and over as she read the comedy of the great poet. The story of Paolo and Francesca, damned for all eternity to the second circle of hell, yet together. Moroella climbed up onto the parapet and looked around for a moment at the lands that they so naively had thought would be theirs one day and they could rule together. He took a step towards her. So ends the story of Celeste and her beloved Moroello. Or does it? The castle of Bari is located in the Emilia area, in the province of Parma. You may know of Parma from the famous Parma ham and, of course, the Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese. I will probably have to do an episode on the cheese sometime, but suffice it to say now that it is called Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese, keeping in mind that it is mostly produced in our province of Reggio Emilia, so it should be known internationally as Reggiano cheese rather than the more common Parmesan. Anyway, controversy aside, Parma is a very beautiful province and city, even though they did steal our cheese. The most common origin story of the name of Bardi is from the Longobardi, the Lombards, the Germanic people who invaded Italy in the late 6th century and dominated over many areas of the country until they were kicked out by the Franks in the late 8th century, although many of them continued to hang around. The impressive fortress, which is built on a steep peak, was first built between the 9th and 10th centuries. In the year 898, it was sold to the Bishop of Piacenza, who needed it to protect against the Magyar invasions. Then, up until about the 13th century, the castle was managed by a group of local nobles that became known as the Counts of Bardi. In 1257, it was purchased by the Ghibelline Ubertino Landi of Piacenza, and it became the capital of his family holdings. The lands around the castle would have been the location of important battles between the Ghibellines and the Guelphs, for example in 1313, when the Guelphs were defeated. It is in the late 1400s, the legend of Soleste and Moroello is set. It was in the early 1500s that the castle took the shape that we can admire today, and in 1551, Charles V granted the Landi the title of Marquise, so they got really posh. 
Indeed, towards the end of that same century, Federico Landi converted it into a more princely manner, adding an art gallery, archives, library, and weapons exhibition. In 1682, the last Landi died out, and the castle started its period of decline. It passed to the Farnese family, and then to the Bourbon of Parma. The decline continued, and in the 19th century, it became a prison. It is in the late 1960s that the fortress at Bardi started its new life, with a great investment in reconstruction. And when it was ready, it was opened to the public again. Ever since the castle was opened to the public, reports of unusual happenings started to come in. Some guides reported smelling strange odours in certain rooms of the castle, while custodians reported hearing conversations or even drums in areas that were completely deserted. A couple of newlyweds staying in the castle claimed that they had heard piano music all night long, while a group of scouts staying near the old inn area said they had heard a conversation, despite the fact that the room in question was empty. Things got serious in 1995, when an exhibition of torture instruments was organized. Local journalists Daniele Calosi and Gianni Santi ran a weekly opinion magazine called Lettere e Contrasti. They started to receive a series of reports from different sources, yet with similar stories. Many claimed that as they had tried to enter the torture chamber, they had felt a pressure on their chest, like hands pushing them back. At this point, the two journalists decided to spend a night in the castle. Like in the best horror films, when you actually shout at the screen, why are you doing that? They decided to split up and go for a walk around two o'clock in the morning. Daniele, who was more prone to believing in supernatural events, headed for the torture chamber. As he tried to enter, he claims that he immediately felt a falling sensation and then a pushing sensation on his chest, as well as a smell of sulfur. He met up again with Gianni, and as he told his story, Gianni noticed a strange luminescent cloud hovering over Daniele's head, and he quickly took pictures. You can see these pictures in the show notes and decide for yourself what they could be. The two then enjoyed their 15 minutes of fame, appearing in newspapers, radio interviews, and even a popular daytime national TV program. The believers and non-believers argued back and forth about the authenticity of the whole thing. It was four years later, in 1999, that something happened that had never happened before in Italy. Another team visited the castle, this time made up of two paranormal experts, Daniele Gulla and Michele Di Nicastro, who arrived with some lab technicians, a biologist, 
and two mediums from Florence. The mediums reported feeling a great sense of sadness at the foot of the main tower, and one even said she had seen the figure of a woman desperately looking for something or someone. Then again, I suppose it was easy to come up with that if you knew anything about the legend. The more interesting aspect was that the team had a thermal camera, and it was that camera that captured what is considered to be the first and perhaps only possible image of a ghost in Italy. Indeed, it captured the image of a soldier in armor with his head bowed. Many believers saw in this image the ghost of Moroello. In 2015, video was added to the story when a team of paranormal investigators visited the castle and recorded images of rather disturbing male and female faces. I have added a link also to this video in the show notes. Well, dear spooky listeners, that is the legend and the story of the ghost or ghosts of the castle of Bardi. Believe it or not, that is up to you. If you happen to be travelling around Italy and have already seen some of the most important destinations such as Venice, Milan, Rome, Florence and Naples, you might want to try and take a trip in our direction to Emilia-Romagna and go and visit that castle high upon the cliff, above the plains of the province of Parma, the castle of Bardi, and see for yourself if you can find the ghost. Thank you very, very much for listening. After the credits, we have created a couple of sketches, but if you don't want to ruin the romantic, dramatic and spooky atmosphere, you might want to stop listening. Anyway, A History of Italy is written and presented by me, Mike Corradi, with help from Lucia Corradi, Edoardo Corradi and Agnese Marconi. You can send us an email at hello at ahistoryofitaly.com and at the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and you can go to the support page and become a Patreon supporter where you will have access to extra content. I would also really like to thank author Domenico Barletta for sending me a copy of his book, Soleste e Moroello, una leggenda d'amore. I have added a link to his Instagram page in the show notes. Music is by Mark van der Moylen, and you can also find links to his work in the show notes. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, if you survive Halloween, arrivederci. My lady, stand away from the parapet. You may fall. It's dangerous. Leave me be, nurse. I'm looking for my dear beloved Morello. He should be coming back soon. I see soldiers approaching. Do you? What do they look like? Oh dear, decayed insignia of the enemy. It must be that Morello lies dead. 
I have no reason to live anymore. Goodbye, nurse. Here we go with the drama. Wait a minute, my lady. It could just be Morello holding the insignia of the enemy. Oh, yeah. I didn't really think of that. I suppose I'd better wait a bit and see before I throw myself to my death. Well, at least we'll have some peace and quiet round here. What was that? Uh, nothing, dear. Don't worry. By the way, if you do jump, would you mind jumping a few steps to the left? If you jump where you are now, it's going to make a terrible mess. And of course, I'm going to have to be the one to clean it up as usual. Okay. That's, of course, if you do die straight away and, and not have to lie there for hours and hours in agony. Agony, you say? It wouldn't be just a romantic perk death. No, no, not at all. It would be a bit squishy mess. Your Morello would probably have to stick you back together before giving you a goodbye kiss or something. Oh, I was expecting something a bit less messy. No, no, mark my words. Anyway, look closely. It's not the enemy at all. It's your loved one. Oh, joy, we will be together at last. My father will make him his heir, and we will rule over this land together. That's not very likely. What's that? I, I was just saying it's not very likely. I think if you want to be with your Moroello, you're going to have to run away with him. Yes, run away. That's what I'll do. Yes, yes. You can live the romantic life of a fugitive soldier's wife. No boring castles, no big expensive dresses to wear, no banquets and dancing, just the adventurous life of a military camp. What's more, you don't have to go and live with your promised husband in his huge castle and be surrounded by servants and riches. Oh, no pretty dresses. No. No banquets and nice food and stuff. Nope. None of that nonsense. You'll be free. Celeste, my darling, I return victorious. Now, perhaps, in time, with some patience, after a bit, in some time, we, with, with some sacrifice, of course, your father may someday accept me, and in future we may be married. Yes, about that. What's that, my love? Well, I've missed you so much. Let me have a good look at you. Stand over there. What? Here? Almost just a few steps back and to the left. What is this all? Oh no, my love has fallen to his death. Woe is me. Come on, nursey. I must seek consolation in a bit of venison and some wine. Very well, my lady. I'll see to it. Now, when you say huge castle, how big are we talking about? Well, medium, do you feel anything? I... I feel a presence. But I, I'm not sure where. I, I'm getting a position... It, could it be there, by the foot of the tower, where Morello is said to have fallen? Ah, yes. 
Yes, I feel it clearly now. It's right there. It's a woman. It's a man. It's a Jew. A, a man, perhaps. Ah, yes, a man. Maybe yeah. the spirit of Morello. Yes, definitely, definitely. I understand. It is the spirit of Morello. He's wearing a. Um, uh, a an armor, perhaps. Yes, yes, it is armor, indeed, armor. And definitely armor uh, from the. Four, third, four, four. From the late 15th century? Yes, from the late 15th Yes, yes, that's it. Indeed, it must be Morello. Yes, I'm, I'm quite sure now. How can you be sure, medium? Ah, he has um, a, a name tag on his armour? Ah, well, that's unusual. Uh, uh, hold on. Blimey. I really am seeing something. This has never happened before. Wow. See what now? Oh my. There's actually someone there. This is crazy. Oh, he's, he's trying to speak to me. Wow. I, I, I've never had this happen to me before. I thought it was all rubbish. What is he saying? All oh, right, right, yeah. He's saying, tell Celeste to go and... Oh, joy, we will be together at last. My father, my fa- My fart. <laughs> <laughs> my father will make him his heir. His heir. Heir. <laughs> <laughs> from the late 15th century? Yes, from the late 15th century. That, oh, bollocks. <laughs> Sentir a Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.